This is a classic podcast from Unqualified Gamers. Hear more at unqualifiedgamers.com. Welcome, listener, to the 15th episode of Unqualified, a podcast of the video game varietal. Unqualified? Yeah. Actually, Unqualified is a good fast food podcast, if I'm not mistaken. You have found your way to Unqualified, a video game podcast. Uh, I am one of the hosts, Jonathan. And I am the other host, Jonathan Cody Jonathan. Jonathan Cody Jonathan. Uh, and we have Vidya Games. Do we? I think we do. Because I've been real busy lately, well, with the Olympics. Um, which means that I the only games I've been doing are watching things. Terrible. And see, I, on the other hand, have also been watching the Olympics, but this is what makes us unqualified to talk about video games. Oh, yeah? Because we don't have, because we don't have time to play video games. <laughs> have you... Well, no, when you're watching the Olympics, do you sit around with your iPad? Because I know you're into the mobile games. Yeah, I mean, of, of course, but I don't actually play games on it when I'm watching something like the Olympics. Actually, I have had a recent development in my uh, gaming space. Is it a new couch? Uh, in my opinion, better. My wife and I bought two recliners. Oh, boy. Which, when you, I mean, and I, I, I took them for a spin for the first time playing games like two nights ago. Oh, yeah. It, I think it's going to change my world. <laughs> what games did you play? Um, well, th- this I just started playing Assassin's Creed Rev- Revelations, Revelations, <laughs> uh, which is the newest Assassin's Creed that came out back in November, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so I started playing that. That's not what I'm going to talk about, but that, but playing it on like the 55 inch TV downstairs, you know, on the like with the recliner up, is I, I think it's going to change the way I play video games. Oh yeah, 55 inches. Exactly. And so I brought my computer down and hooked it up to the TV as well. So right now the computer is also on a 55 inch uh, screen, which is what I was doing. I think when we first started the show. I hate you a little bit right now. It works pretty well and pretty awesome. I bet it's amazing. See, I have a rear projection TV, which means I do not have HDMI capability. That's they the, don't have HDMI on them? No. They, they are high-definition televisions, but through component cable only. Oh, you're really messing up. I know, I know. And I, I've played games. I know how different it is on an HDMI connection. I, I, I love my TV because I love the sound system. So my goal, my goal for this year is to get a new sound system, a surround sound speaker system that's good, and then... I will find a large flat screen TV that I can use. Yeah. The the point is is like, you know, I've got the graphics card on the computer that has an HDMI out, so it's just just plug an HDMI cable into that, plug it into the TV and it is perfect crystal clear resolution. It's basically like having a 55-inch monitor. Yeah, it's awesome. Exactly. No, that's what I wanted for my PSP because then I could have played Dissidia Final Fantasy, one of the greatest video games ever made on my big screen, but that didn't happen. Is that the game you're talking about today? No, although I could because I played over 240 hours of the first game and 100-something of the second. I think that makes you an expert. I think it does. I almost wrote an FAQ. I'm not kidding. I think it makes you qualified to talk about that game. Yeah, so we can't, yeah. Probably can't talk about that game. No, that's not going to happen. So what are you going to talk about today? Oh, man. Why don't we start with you? (laughs) I'm fine with that. So uh, a lot has happened. 
since the last time we recorded, um, the most significant event in my life has been the Steam Summer Sale. Wait, I thought you were pregnant. Uh, that's the second most significant oh, event. Okay. The first most significant was the Steam Summer Sale. Now, the very, very first episode of Unqualified, uh, a video game podcast, dealt with the Steam Christmas sale, if I remember correctly. Ah. And I remember outlining the fact that they basically discount every game 75 to 90% over the course of like a two-week period. Yeah. Well, this sale was a week long, and they started, they did the exact same thing. They discounted like nine games or sets of games every single day. But then they also had these community sales where they would have three different sales that you could pick, the community could pick from as to the next game they wanted to see go up for, like, a Flash Super Sale oh, yeah. for, for an even larger discount. I think I ended up getting about 15 new games. <laughs> for, like, a dollar fifty Each, right. Yeah. Um, the most expensive which I bought was The Witcher 2. Uh, the least expensive of which I bought was, like, 99 cents, and I can't remember what game it was. I'll probably never play it. My <laughs> Steam library continues to grow with games that I will most likely never play. That, I think, is the true trick of Steam, is to get you to buy shit that you will never play. But the point is, is I got a bunch of new games off Steam. Um, and one of the things that Steam is really good at with these sales is they they feature a bunch of games that are maybe a little more under the radar, um, but are also great games. Like, they, you'd consider them indie games. Yeah. So there are a lot of, those are a lot of the games that you could find um, on Steam. And I bought this combo pack of two games from the same company uh and they're point-and-click adventures. One is called Machinarium, um, and then the, the other one is called Botanicula. Okay? <laughs> is, um, is, hold on. Is Machinarium about a mosh pit? Um, it's about a robot in a mosh pit. Okay. Sounds good. And what's the other one? Pl- plant? Bo- Botanicula. Oh, boy. Which is about plants. A, a plant vampires? Plant vampires. Okay, That's exactly right. Great. Exactly right. It, you get what your you get what the name implies. Yeah, good. Anyway, so the one I'll talk about is is Machinarium because um, I got a lot to say about it. So I, you know, point and click adventure games were huge when we were kids, and when I played video games when I was a kid, I didn't have a PC to play games on, and point and click adventure games were strictly for a PC. Yeah. Because there was no mouse interface for, uh, you know, the type of systems that hook into a TV. So I didn't have any exposure to point-and-click adventure games. And when I tried to play them later in my life when I did have a PC, I didn't get them. I didn't have the patience for them. They require, like, a, a different style of thinking because you have to combine items together um, that you wouldn't expect to combine together. You have to uh, you have to remember a lot of things typically in the old in the old point and click adventure games, you'd have to remember things from like the very earlier in the game to make things later in the game work. Um, and so I just didn't I didn't have a good idea of how those games were structured. Yeah. And then point and clicker point and click adventure games disappeared off the map. They just completely disappeared because there was a death of PC gaming for 12 years or 10 years or something. Well, now that PC gaming is on the incline again, uh, they've started to come out. Like, the point-and-click adventure games, there are a lot more coming out. There's a new one by Double Fine that's based on uh, the Walking Dead series that is supposed to be phenomenal that I bought 
during the Steam sale that I'll eventually get to play and talk about, maybe. You know, there's these two games I just bought, Machinarium, both Nicola, and then there's this huge other group of games that you like are all over. Like it's it's kind of a renaissance, I guess, of point and click adventure games. I I say all that because with since there was such a long lull, the point and click adventure gods that are now making these games again have to find a way to appeal to a group of people that never played them before. So, Machinarium, I think, does that very well. Um, so I'll just... Just a brief brief little bit about the game. The game is, you are a little robot. Um, I probably can't start without commenting on the art style. It's basically a... Wa- it's a game of watercolors. So, the entire world is... It looks like a watercolor painting. Oh. Which is which is awesome, and I mean, Botanicula is kind of the same way, um, but yeah, it's basically like you're playing you're playing in a watercolor land of kind of a steampunk universe. Oh, um, I love steampunk. Without people, so there's no people. It's all robots. Thus, the term machinarium. Yeah. Um, but it's it it looks like it looks like a very like degrading mechanical universe that you're in. That's how the, that's where the game takes place, and. You're a little robot that whose head can extend very tall and then go short again. That's one of the mechanics of the game. That allows you to get into small places and allows you to get up to higher places if you need to get up to higher places. But again, it is a standard point-and-click adventure game. So you're going through areas, you're finding items, you're combining them with other items to solve puzzles that normal people would never need to solve. Right, because that's like the general principle of a point-and-click adventure game. Yeah. Um, so the the art design is great, the music is great, but the game does some things that I think are so smart that are kind of that, that are not characteristic of old point-and-click adventure games. For example, at any point in the game, you can go to your menu of items and you have this book. It's a locked book. Um, and you can, if you're completely stuck on an area, you can click on this locked book, and you have to play a little game where you make, where you get a key to a keyhole mm-hmm. in like a, a maze type environment in a side-scrolling shooter. Your key shoots stuff. It's weird, but the point is, is once it, once you hit the keyhole, the book opens up. It shows you the exact way to solve the like the room that you're in in a in a uh, in like a storyboard type look. And it's not, it's not like every single step, but it's pretty much every single step. Hmm. So at any point, in, if you get stuck in the world, you can find out what you're supposed to do by doing this little book thing. Obviously, you're not going to want to do that for every single room because the whole point of the game is to play the game, right? right? But one of the most frustrating things about point-and-click adventure games to me when I first tried to play them was that if I got stuck, there was nowhere I could go to find an answer for that. This was before the land of the internet, you know, back when the original point-and-click adventure games were out. So, like, you had no way of figuring out what to do. And some of the, some of the, some of the solutions to some of these puzzles uh, back in old point-and-click adventure games and new point-and-click adventure games are so abstract that you wouldn't think to do that. Like, you wouldn't think to put bread around a gerbil to go into a mouse hole to make a bird that has a key attached to its leg come down to eat the bread and then drop the key, right? I mean, that doesn't happen in this game, but that's the kind of abstract thinking 
that happens in adventure games. Oh, of course, like Mist. We're talking about stuff like Mist, right? Well, that's even more abstract. Yeah, do you think? <laughs> yeah, that's even more abstract of puzzle design. This is th- this is just general point and click adventure kind of principle. Sure. So, so the, like that kind of thing bugged the shit out of me. But the fact that I can now just open up a book, you know, and it just takes a minute and a half of your time to get through this little maze thing. And then you open up the book and you kind of see the solution to the puzzle is great because if you ever do get stuck and I didn't have to use the book that often, I maybe had to use it two or three times in the whole game. But the fact that it's there is awesome. Um, the other thing that the game has in it that I think is really cool is it doesn't just have this item using puzzle solutions. Like you don't just come to a place you can't pass, find the right combination of items to get past it and then move on. It's got these little like mini games in it. So at one point in the game, you go into this dilapidated arcade. It's got three machines. You have to get on a bike and, and pedal on the bike to make the electricity go to power up one machine at a time. And each machine has a different game attached to it. So, like, on one, you're playing Space Invaders, and you have to get a 1,000 points, <laughs> and then you get the item that you're trying to get. You know? That's pretty solid. It is a lot of, like, variety of old-school games, or is just random stuff? No, no, it's just, two, it's just two machines you end up playing, but they're, they're not the standard puzzle solution. Yeah, certainly not. Yeah, and, and there's, another, like, there's another part in the game where you enter a bar, and there's a guy that's playing... It's not tic-tac-toe, it's tic-tac-toe where you've got to get five in a row. Oh, tic-tac-bro. Exactly. That's what that's called. Tic-tac-bro five. Yeah. And it's like on a ten by ten grid, and you have to play tic-tac-toe, tic-tac-bro five with him. Yeah. To get five five in a row. And he plays really tough. Like, he basically plays perfectly, for the most part. So, I sat there and got to do that for like fifteen minutes, but it's... There are a few of these kind of sprinkled throughout the game, and it's such a nice change of pace that it makes the game it makes it makes after you finish these kind of little puzzles feel fresher for the next thing that you do. Um, and the game's only about four hours long. I played it in one sitting one morning. Ah, very nice. Which is you know it is like the perfect length for a game. Of I think I paid two dollars for it during the Steam sale. Yeah, it was four hours of time. There were these really just clever solutions to these puzzles, and one of the other things I I really liked about it is that when the solutions to the puzzles, basically every room is self-contained. So you get to a room, you find like where you have to go, or what you have to like unlock, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then you have to figure out the way in the room, and your tools are typically in the room to do that. It's and that's so much nicer than having to backtrack and remember like five rooms and exactly and I love and I loved that and there were still some challenging like puzzles in there but I never I never got frustrated except and this is this is one of the reasons why I would say this is not like a perfect game to me Uh-oh. they set up they set up that as the paradigm right I mean that is what they tell you this is what you'll be doing you're gonna go to this room everything will be everything you need will be in the room and then you'll solve it except for, like, two parts in the game. So the problem is when you set up that paradigm for the player, the minute you break that, it it turns into a, an exercise in frustration because yeah. you don't realize, like, I didn't realize there was an item I needed from, like, six screens previous because the game had never done that before. So 
I spent I spent like thirty minutes wandering around and and the game I could have beaten the game faster obviously but for these like two parts I spent like thirty minutes just looking around the room and like the the previous room right before it for this item that I didn't really know what I was looking for either but I just knew that I didn't have everything I needed to solve this puzzle yeah so I was like looking around looking around I was like this this is bugging the shit out of because I, I know it's like here somewhere but I can't find it like what am I missing turns out it really was like six rooms previous it was an item that basically blended in with the background I hate that so I, I you know I couldn't see it um and that like I got done and I I found that item and I just combined it with another item and obviously that solved the puzzle and that pissed the hell out of me I was like you you have never done that to me yet in this game and this was like an hour and a half in so why would you just now introduce that particular type of concept to me yeah uh, nearly halfway into a game is not a good time to it reminds you of another game it's like uh, having a paradigm shift you know from like Ravager Commando Sentinel to Medic Ravager Commando and it that kind of a paradigm shift I think uh, made famous by games such as Final Fantasy 13 2 which I may review in our next podcast um, can just be infuriating exactly uh, is the game you're going to review is it Final Fantasy Thirteen? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, they they like introduced that in like two spots, and that pissed me off. But overall, like the story of the game is your your uh, your friend is missing. Your friend got like kidnapped, and there's no text anywhere in the game. Everything is done by pictures yeah. uh, and by like these short movies. So it it, it kind of it's cool. It's cool. You don't have to read. Any, you don't have to read anything, and and the game sets up a great story without having to read a bunch of dialogue and a bunch of text. Yeah. So I think that's really neat. Um, but anyway, you're looking for your friend that's been kidnapped. It's somebody that you had like played with as a child. Uh, and there are these two like evil robots. They're the ones that kidnapped her. They set a bomb on the top of this tower because they're going to blow up the tower, and you have to like disarm the bomb. It's just kind of it's kind of clever. The art style is really wacky. The animations are really wacky. The music is phenomenal. Um, it's just it's just great music. It's very fitting to uh, to the game. And overall, I liked it a lot. Excellent. What's um, it called again? It's called Machinarium. This is Machinarium. Okay. Yeah, and you can pick it up for a song. I mean, even I think retail price on it now is like ten dollars on Steam. And I would honestly, after playing it, I would say it's worth ten bucks to play. Um, but if not, you can just wait until the next Steam sale, which is going to be around Christmas time, and you could just pick it up at that point. Wait, so you can get it for a song, you said? For a song. Really? Yes, exactly. Does that does that mean that I get it if I tell the game that you didn't have to cut me off? Is that how that works? So what did you play? <laughs> so, uh, you ready for a retro review? Yeah. Good. Um, because I, alright, uh, so remember the last episode I reviewed, um, Chrono Trigger Flames, Flames of Eternity? <clears throat> the, uh, unofficial sequel to Chrono Trigger? Which is a, a, technically a ROM hack, if you'll remember that. Uh. It sounded very interesting. It was very interesting. Haven't finished it yet. Uh, came to a standstill due to Olympics and other things. But, I will finish it eventually. But because of that, I started to go down the deep rabbit hole that is ROM hacks. Um, and I love ROM hacks now. Are there some really interesting, kind of cool stuff out there? I mean, is there some? There's some interesting stuff. Not all, not all cool though. 
Um, so I downloaded several dozen ROM hacks and uh, patched them to my memory card on my on my Wii, so I could play on the emulators on my Wii. And um, a lot of them didn't work because of that version of you know ZSNES or whatever I'm using. So it hasn't all been functional, but I've gotten a few things to work. Uh, there are two ROM hacks of Final Fantasy VI that I'm currently like a couple hours into. Uh, just to kind of see how they are. And it's it's just really interesting to see what the mod community does with these games. Um, so, for example, now I haven't... I don't remember the names of these, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, review the Final Fantasy VI ones in further detail later on. But to give you an, exa- an idea of how kind of they get tweaked, one of these games, they change the sprites for the main characters, so you start as a male character... Uh, and you actually pick up, like, random other sp- sprites later on. And they change some of the dialogue, but for the most part, it's the same. I haven't okay. really got... Uh, they changed the... No, they changed the storyline on the other one. I'm sorry. But they, they haven't quite caught on to all the changes in that one yet. But the other one I'm playing, they replaced the battle music with the battle music from Final Fantasy IV. Okay. Which is kind of random. Um, when you're in the first town, instead of fighting miners, you're fighting dwarves that, like, say, Lally Ho, and things like that from Final Fantasy IV. And, I mean, is there any reasoning behind this? Like, I... Well, in this game, they call it Final Fantasy VI. It's something like Legend of the Crystals, or something having to do with crystals. And they change the storyline so Kafka is not trying to get control of espers, but he's trying to get control of four elemental crystals. Okay. So they've done a lot of dialogue changes. Um, now, this is totally different than the Chrono Trigger hack, because the Chrono Trigger hack is a brand new game with brand new everything storyline. Uh, both Final Fantasy VI hacks thus far have been identical to the original Final Fantasy VI, other than some dialogue changes and some character changes. I have found the dialogue changes incredibly jarring. Probably because I've played through Final Fantasy VI... Mm, 30 times? Yeah. We've probably played through that game 30, 40 times, maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe. We've, we grew up with that game. And right. so it's really jarring to me to kind of figure it out. Uh, also, the sprites for Edgar were replaced with the sprites for Kane, and he's called the Dragoon in the okay. game. I don't know why. I still named him Edgar, because why not? Um, but they just randomly seem to interject a bunch of stuff from Final Fantasy IV in the game, and I just I just found it kind of interesting. Um but it, it's it's very strange because it's so identical to the actual game. It's just they make all these weird little cosmetic changes. But it's also kind of nice to give you a fresh perspective, like something fresh from an old game, you know? Like, you can play through Final Fantasy VI a, you know, a 41st or a 42nd time, or you can play a ROM hack that slightly changes everything so that there's some surprises along the way. And you think to yourself, like, oh, well, I know what's supposed to happen here, but this happened instead. And it could be interesting. Sometimes funny, sometimes just kind of, like, quirky, things like that. Well, I mean, is there any change to combat or any other, like, systems of the game? There, one of the hacks, I'm not sure which one, does change the combat a little bit, um, because Edgar gets different weapons as a Dragoon, like, different abilities. Um, so far, the Blitzes are the same... And I believe they've rebalanced the game so that not every character can learn every spell in the game. Huh. So that it's a little bit more, like, actually balanced. Because the one big drawback of Final Fantasy VI was every character could learn every spell. And that, that made, really, the characters individually a lot less important. 
Right. If that makes sense. So it wasn't a game-breaker, and it's still one of the best games of all time, but I, I always thought that was a little bit weak, and that was a complaint a lot of people had about the game. So, um, so yeah, some combat things are... Oh, and actually, yeah, actually, uh, you totally just reminded me. Uh, you know Vargash, or whatever his name was, Sabin's brother? Or right. Sabin, the guy that trained with Sabin under Duncan? Yep. Yeah, the guy with the train with him, he's uh, the second or third boss in the game. He's replaced with Gilgamesh. And huh. the last time I played the game, he kicked my ass. Like, he wrecked my party. And that's not supposed to be a particularly hard battle. I think I had to right. level up and then go back to him with, like, buffs and stuff. Um, so they, they did adjust the difficulty a little bit, which is also nice, because then you're not just kind of plowing through the same old thing. So um, I will review those games further when I have time to sit down with both of them. Right. But I actually played a ROM hack of a full game from start to finish when Blake Danger was last visiting me. Okay. Uh, we tag-teamed this game. Uh, it's called um, the Le- Zelda Two: The Adventures of Error. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you know anything about Zelda Two: The Adventures of Link... Uh, you know that you play as Link in a side-scrolling adventure, go through Hyrule, defeating things, and then you save, uh... Well, you, there's... I don't really understand the storyline exactly, but you stop Ganon from being resurrected. Well, this is the exact same game, uh, pretty much the exact same backgrounds, layout, and everything, but you play as Error. Because oh. because in The Legend of Zelda, in Zelda 2, uh, you walk into a house, and very famously, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are aware of this, but you walk into a house, talk to a guy, and he just says, I am Error. And this is one of the oldest video game memes of all time, because no one knows how it happened or why. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah I think it's probably just a, just a, that was back when translation wasn't the most important thing on developers' minds. Yeah. But pe- and there wasn't a lot of text in games. So. Yeah, yeah, but there's a lot of mythology around it because they're like, was this a developer error? Like, did they for- did they just write error and forgot to retranslate it? Like, was the guy's name error? It just you can let your imagination get a little active with it. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so you play as error. Um, you have the same thrusting motions, the same sword, the same abilities, and things like that. Um, and it's like it's like if you took Zelda two and taught a five-year-old how to reprogram it. Uh, They replaced the sprites of the monsters with sprites from other NES video games. Interesting. And they replaced almost all of the dialogue in the towns with the most childish, second-grade dialogue you could possibly have. Uh, To give you an example... um, the first town you go to, whenever you go into a town, there's a mailbox, and it says, this is the town of whatever. Like, right. you walk to the first mailbox, and it says, this is the town of Poopy. Like, it's just stupid. When you get your health restored, you know, you, you talk to a woman in a red hat and a red dress, and she right. says, come inside, I'll heal you, or whatever. But if you talk to them in this game, they say, come let me give you a blowjob. And then when you walk inside, a text window appears that says, oh my, you're huge. And then you get your life back. So it's just stupid, childish humor. But you know the bots? You know the little blue bots that jump around and attack you? Yeah. It's like the most basic monster in the game. They're Goombas. Okay. Just Goombas from Mario 1. Just sure. replaced with Goombas. Uh, and uh, they just replace everything. In the forests. there are spiders that crawl left and right and then drop down. Uh, it's Kirby. It's from the Kirby games. 
okay. Kirby dropping down on you. So it's these stupid little cosmetic changes that really have no impact on the gameplay whatsoever, or very little impact. But it, it adds this extra little degree of fun and playfulness, and Blake and I were laughing out loud a couple times, because the dialogue in the towns is so ridiculous. Like, there's a... When you get a, a spell from the first wizard, instead of the lady saying, there's a lady in the house, and she says, like, oh, go downstairs and see my grandfather, he'll teach you a spell. She says something like, there's a creepy old hobo in my basement, <laughs> steal from him. <laughs> and then when you go to him, there's dialogue about you stealing a spell from him or something. Um, so it's fun. It's it's fun, and it's got some little stuff. Um, the first boss, Horsehead, is replaced by one of the double dragon brothers. Nice. With surprising accuracy. So it's just, it, like, makes you giggle in a stupid way. And it it's nice, though, because, like, I haven't played, I haven't replayed through Zelda 2 in probably, I want to say about maybe eight years. It's been a while. Sure. Anyway, I played through it in college, but not recently. And uh, did you like Zelda 2? Are you a Zelda 2 fan? I am. I know it gets a lot of flack from the general gaming public, but I've always liked Zelda 2 as a game. You... I am. It, it's... it's definitely one of the most different of all Zelda games. I, it's not linked to the past to me. That's my favorite. Well, yeah. But it's good. Yeah. I mean, I've always liked it, and you know, it's not a traditional Zelda game, but it's fun, and it's definitely challenging. I mean, even yeah. you can agree with that, and I know oh, you like yeah, the challenge. Absolutely. It's a challenging game. Of course, I mean, and I'm playing through it with Blake, who has the game memorized. He blows through Death Mountain in about five minutes. Sure. <laughs> he went through Death Mountain before the second temple, I believe. Just because that's what he does. Right. Uh, so, yeah, um, it's just a fun little thing. So Zelda II, The Adventure of Error, um, I recommend downloading it. What was nice about it was was the fun and the humor and the stupid dialogue. Um, instead of saving a trophy at one point... Oh, uh, you save... Instead of saving... Yeah, it's like a trophy in the first cave to get the jump spell. You save a missile tank from Metroid. From Metroid, sure. <laughs> and they say, like, thanks for getting my missiles. Uh, and the the spells are some of the spells are renamed. So jump is renamed fart because you get to jump really high because you're farting. Get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really mature. Uh, but then there's really like really more clever fun moments as well. Like they say, "Welcome to the town of poopy." Welcome to the river town of pissy. And you know, there's these stupid things like the town of dumbhead. And then you get to like the fourth town, and it goes, "Welcome to the mountain town of Denver." Like, well done. Out of nowhere. <laughs> like, what the hell? So it's it's kind of cute and clever. Um, and a lot of the bosses are redone as well. So overall, it's good. Uh, the the uh, You know the big brown guys in the temples that throw fireballs at you? or, or they, they No, they, show, they throw, like, nunchuck chain things at you. Sure. Uh, anyway, they're replaced with Mario from Mario 3, and he throws fireballs. So everything like that. It, and they're well-done sprites, so you can see movement, so you can see when they're about to attack you and about to thrust. So it is simple and stupid as it is. It's surprisingly well done because they make it so that the gameplay elements are still there and readable. Um, but you know this this idea of ROM hacks uh, interests me because you know there. I mean, if you open up the idea of video game design to anybody, you know there are people out there who have fantastic ideas that are just not associated, or they don't have the ability to program whatever their idea is. Yeah, definitely. But something like a ROM hack, which I I would imagine would be an easier thing to do than to program a game from scratch... Oh, yeah. ...would give somebody the ability to kind of 
explore those ideas. Yeah, I think I think it is nice because it opens that up, and and some ideas are are really well thought out, and others are just let's screw with the game, put in some poop jokes, and you know make a butt sprite somewhere. You know, sure. <laughs> on one end of the spectrum, you've got you've got something like this, and then the other end, you have a game from scratch like Chrono Tri- the, yeah. the Chrono Trigger sequel. Yeah, yeah. Flames yeah. of Eternity is like above and beyond any what people should be able to do. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, yeah, and it interests me too because, like I said, I hadn't played through Zelda 2 forever. Like, do I want to go back and play Zelda 2? I mean, is it fun? Yes. But do I know exactly what to expect on every screen in that game? Yeah. So the ROM hack is nice because you don't suddenly know what to expect in every screen of the game. I mean, I could probably recite to you the first hour of Final Fantasy VI from memory, you know, because we've played it so many times. Right. But when you walk into Figaro Castle and Kane is there, and then they give you backstory with him and his brother instead of Edgar, you're like, oh, he's a dragoon. Oh, the battle system's slightly different. Oh, I'm fighting Gilgamesh instead of that shirtless guy. You know, it, it adds just, like, a little bit of unpredictability that really freshens up the games, whether it's mature or immature. So I like that. The one I will say about uh, Zelda II Legend of Error, um, Blake and I actually pushed through to beat it, because we were pretty tired one night, and it was his last night here, and I'm like, right, we got to beat it. The Last Temple must be amazing. It must be awesome. Uh, last Temple, very disappointing. Uh, they introduce no new sprites. They, sure. And, you know, they've got still the Goombas and stuff, but... No new sprites. The Thunderbird is still the Thunderbird. Um, I, the end was nice because you do fight a Shadow Error instead of Shadow Link. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's it, you know they at least did that much. And the ending is a huge letdown. You know Zelda says something about having sex with you or whatever, or being wet or something. But but it's you know it's it's not as big of a payoff as I would have hoped. Um, I think the first half of the game definitely definitely worth it. Really fun stuff, especially if you're a big NES gamer and you can recognize what all of them are from. We saw some sprites we didn't even know what game it was from. I think there was stuff from Adventure Island, but I couldn't even like verify that. Um, so if you're like pushing through, you're new to the end, you're like, oh, I gotta beat it, I gotta beat it. Don't feel that way because eh, you can take it or leave it. But um, but it, it's fun. It's just a fun, stupid, like, let's laugh, and it's a nice little fresh thing. So I am definitely, in the next couple podcasts, probably going to be looking closer into some ROM hacks because I just think they're interesting. And the most um, the most intense ROM hacks are mostly the Mario games because you've, you've seen, like, Super Mario Hell and games like that. Yeah. Yeah, Super Mario Frustration in, in games like that. There are Mario World hacks that are that are certainly playable and beatable, but they're very challenging. And there are dozens of Mario World hacks out there. I would think that the majority of hacks are going to be just exercises in nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's just people dumping everything that they remember and love from video, from like various video games across that platform into the same game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and actually, I also got a couple other ones to work. I got a couple Mega Man 3 ROM hacks to work, and one remakes every level is a brand new level. They change the weakness for every monster. It's a completely new game. Yeah, and it's really fun, and they redo some of the midis, so actually, like, Sparkman stage is actually the music from Sparkmandrill's stage in Mega Man X, Hmm. but made into 8-bit. So I'll I'll probably review some of those Mega Man games next. Um, and there's a couple of, like some of these hacks though you have to be careful because some are just insanely difficult and frustrating for being insanely difficult and frustrating's sake. They're just not even fun. 
Right. Unless you're at a computer with your finger over the freeze state key the whole time, there's no point. So I'm avoiding those because I'm playing these on my emulator on my Wii using just a regular controller. I don't want to have to go back every 10 seconds and restart, you know? It's just stupid. Right. So some of these you got to be careful. They're, they're ludicrously hard. Some are good, a good balance. Um, and that's what I have to be especially careful of in the Mario World ones because there are some that are just stupid hard. Right. So, yeah, that's my game for the week. Excellent. Look at us playing video games. Yeah, you didn't really play video games. You did play video games. <laughs> the rev, the like I said, the ROM hack thing is is interesting. It um, it seems like that is a dangerous path to go down, though. It's a, I'm just a slippery it's, slope, it seems man. Like, it seems like you could find some very, very horrible things. I'm sure that people have made some very, very <laughs> horrible uh, things for which they should probably be killed. It's, so. it's, there's a lot of garbage and there's a lot of terribleness, but it's all free. <laughs> Because they're just emulators or download ROMs are downloading, and it's all uh, I don't know. It's it's, it's all it's all poop. Some of it is just poop with gold nuggets in it that's shiny. Yeah, well, Chrono Trigger game is not poop. Definitely, there's right that one. Flames of Eternity is solid, but yeah, yeah. There's there's varying degrees of, of poop. I really want to download. There's a Final Fantasy IV one that I couldn't get to work, but apparently you only play as Rydia and Rosa, I believe. Um, or it, it focuses on them, or no, it's Terra and Celeste are in Final Fantasy IV. It's like Final Fantasy IV, the woman adventures or something, and somehow Terra and Celeste are there, and you play as them, and I don't know any of the rest of it, but that's why I want to play it. It's like that shitty game, The After Years. Yeah. <laughs> what was wrong with The After Years? So, listener... <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. Did you play through The After Years? No, I didn't. I was just trolling you. Oh, I okay. You did. I was going to say, you can get that on the iPad now. Really? Yeah, it's on the iPad. That's crazy. I'm, I'm, like, sure, they charge, I'm sure they charge $49.99 for it because no. their, pri- their pricing system is stupid. I'm like 75% sure it's on the iPad now. I know that it comes with the Final Fantasy IV PSP remake. It comes with the After Years. You may be making all this up, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I'll have to look into it. Uh, look into it. Look into the iPad one because I, I think that may exist, but whatever. Um, so, listener... <laughs> As John was starting to say, that was a fun episode. You, it was. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, I am at Eat Play Game, all one word. And I'm at Producer Cody, all one word. And you can also find our Twitter handles on, uh, what's our website? Unqualified.podbean.com. That's correct. Um, I'm I'm scared. You know, it's been the summer lull of all, of all games, all things gaming, for the most part. Like, not a lot of stuff has come out. But we're really... We're starting to get to those months where there's going to be a crazy amount of games that I want to play, and not nearly enough time or money to play them. Yeah, the Wii U is going to happen this year. Yeah, it is. And, and I'm definitely getting one and getting Arkham City. And there's a lot of big games coming out too this at the at kind of at the end of this year that are going to be. I'm sure they'll all be awesome, and they're all going to be things I want to play. So. Yep. Except Call of Duty because that franchise blows. Thanks, listener, for listening. 